This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prodi will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is June 14th, Wednesday morning. A lot of stuff has happened the last couple of days. Dow's down slightly as we speak, but that's really in light of the inflation print yesterday. And today, we're going to have some big news coming out of Chairman Powell. Um, right now, the market is pricing an expectation that we will take a break and skip another interest hike. That is after a 10-meeting streak of raising interest rates. Tim, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think Jerome Powell is going to say today? And then we can get into the inflation print slightly after that. Yeah. What Powell is going to say is a lot easier to predict than what the market reaction to it is going to be. My guess is he will try to sound hawkish. He just hasn't been terribly good at really trying to scare the market. You know, I think he's going to say something about higher for longer. I think he's probably going to say something about, you know, long-term inflationary risks that they don't want to be cutting rates uh, earlier than they should. He's going to say that the job isn't over. Uh, I think he's probably going to talk about the fact that core CPI, whether you look at it on a three-month, six-month, or 12-month basis has been flattish, bouncing around 5%, that there's still too much wage uh, pressure out there. And I think that's the key thing. Um, But who knows? Who knows what the market reaction to it is going to be? I think he wants to keep uh, the market thinking that they are going to be data dependent and it's a possibility that they'll raise rates in July. But we'll see. He's, he's, He's been a poor job owner to this point. Yeah, so that would mean benchmark would remain between 5%, five and a quarter. I, yesterday, inflation came in at four, which was lower than expected. Uh, put in context, April year over year was 4.9, so we dropped by nearly a full percent. Um, but there were some elements that seemed to be pretty expensive, and that remained shelter, motor vehicle insurance, and household furnishings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, headline is coming in. I mean, look, they've gotten they've gotten a lot of help by the fact that you have a global manufacturing recession. I mean, Germany is in a recession. The UK is in a recession. Uh, China has exports down 7.5% and and imports down 15, 16%. They can claim GDP is whatever it is, but the China is evidence of the global manufacturing recession and the demand recession that's there. So what comes down a lot, I think the biggest drag on headline CPI, which is what you're referring to, is uh, has been energy prices. Energy prices are reflective of a much weaker demand environment and an overproduction environment uh, coming out of Russia, where India and China are absorbing a ton of those barrels and leaving uh, barrels available uh, for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Europe seems to be kind of at a loss. We'll talk about it a little bit further. But, um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the UK has got a real possibility of being poorer than Poland by 2030. Uh, manufacturing in Germany is certainly down. Um, and, you know, you still have an unabated Russia-Ukraine war that yeah. is picking up in a new offensive. Well, you know, um, the UK really shot itself in the foot with Brexit. Uh, um, the guy from the Peterson Institute, Adam Posen, has been railing on this for a long time, uh, that it was going to be inflationary and it was going to be bad for UK growth. Well, what happens? 
UK's got zero growth and 8% inflation. I mean, that is the definition of stagflation. So UK has, has really got a problem. And, and, and the, look, Europe looks a lot like the United States, where we have punk growth, we have very little workforce growth, uh, and yet we've still got inflation. So the ECB has still got to be in the mix. Uh, you know, the, the central banks globally, and that's the important way to look at it when you look at the importance of central bank balance sheets on markets have been stimulative. But the signs are that now is that the ECB, it really is going to try to continue to tighten. The Fed is going to continue to tighten from a QT standpoint. Uh, China has said that they're not going to flood the world uh, with currency. We'll see. Uh, with, with, with capital, we'll see. And the Japanese, if they're actually going to come off of yield curve control at some point in our lifetime, uh, they are going to be less stimulative. So I do think the outlook is for less uh, liquidity, and we'll see. That certainly isn't reflected in equity markets right now, but I'm not a big believer that equity markets are terribly forward-looking anyway. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some come down from uh, jobless claims. Um, total was way larger than the Dow estimate for you know, 235,000. Yeah. Uh, we had the highest weekly rate since October of 2021. Uh, so we're, are we starting to see some cracks yeah. in employment? Yeah, claims data will be a big deal next week. You know, we got one spike in claims data and Neil Dutter from Renaissance, who's a great economist, he came out and said, no, nah, this is all, this all looks weird because Massachusetts had some weird data and he was right. But this past claim week of claims data where we got the spike, there was nothing in there that looked particularly anomalous. There wasn't one state that had a huge jump. So if we really start to see an upward move in claims, that will be another indicator and another confirmation uh, of a recession. Recessions tend to start with unemployment super, super low. Just take a look at a long-term chart. Recessions start when you are at full employment. Uh, that's what that's part of what creates the excess demand, right? Uh, so I, I do think that claims data is super important. I think the preponderance of employment data is weakening. We got an NFIB print this morning. And even though they've got jobs unfilled, they've got 45% jobs unfilled, which is double the long-term average, just like the JOLT survey that shows we've got this secularly tight labor market. When top lines weaken, you'll, you'll tolerate uh, some jobs going unfilled. So you have two things that can be true at the same time. We have a secular labor shortage that isn't going away outside of a recession and you are seeing companies, you look at retail, look at how much retail is slowed. You are finally going to see some slowdown in housing. When permits roll, construction jobs roll after the fact. Well, we're still, we still have a long ways to go on completions, but employment in construction is going to reflect the realities in permits it's going to reflect the realities in commercial the uh the architectural buildings data is showing a slowdown so construction employment is super important and i think you will finally start to see a slowdown in, in, in construction employment and i think that's what you'll need to that's what the fed is hoping to see mm -hmm. i mean and, and housing will eventually come off right now that's the uh highest portion of inflation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah OER yeah, yeah. is certainly making a big, uh, and that's kind of soft data, and everybody likes to make complaints about the Fed is looking in the rearview mirror and so forth. 
Everybody at the Fed is not an idiot. Everybody at the Fed understands the lags in OER. It's not a, like a total surprise to them. Uh, but yes, the but you know, housing is also the weirdest part of this of this economy. You know, what is most different about this um, slowdown and tightening cycle versus the great financial crisis is housing. It is the golden handcuffs concept. It is the fact that there is so little existing supply uh, that those who are demanding housing, who are buying homes, have to pay up because there's really little supply. So all the Fed can do, the Fed can't create supply. All the Fed can do is try to make that demand piece harder. And if you look at the long end of the curve, uh, it's starting to help, right? I mean, you've seen housing really be kind of reactive when mortgages go down to like 610, 620 on the on the 30 year conforming. Now that number is around 6869. You tend to get some real softness at that level. And look, I, I just do think that over a long period of time, the lack of affordability, you know, you look at the Michigan surveys on good time to buy a house, it's the worst since 1979. Affordability is terrible. And despite all the dynamics that I talk about with the great wealth transfer and the fact that baby boomers are, are bequeathing wealth to the uh, the next generations, uh, and that has created some demand buoyancy in housing, affordability has to ultimately matter. And I think that you are finally starting to see uh, the, a little bit of a slowdown in housing. Let's kind of go into you know, the tech sector. We saw a big change where FTC blocked Microsoft Activision mm -hmm. as their deadline approached. Just on top of that, you know, you're looking at uh, Rep Correa for really kind of the antitrust buster spot, um, you know, in terms of the White House. Has the paradigm changed on this? I mean, a few years ago, you're looking at Amazon's gobbling up Whole Foods and, you know, everything's becoming really consolidated. Uh, and then there's obvious arguments that uh, the sum of the parts would be a more efficiently run stream than, you know, just these huge entities. Yeah, look, it matters. It matters. Uh, there's been a lot of really good academic work, and I'm going to botch the economist name. I want to say Papillon, but I know that's wrong, um, who's written about the fact that uh, we've had so little antitrust enforcement that you've created industries in local industries where you don't have competition. You know, people like to talk about uh, that so much of the inflation is price gouging. Well, you can only you can only gouge on price if you don't have competition. And I think that there has been uh, way too lax enforcement of, you know, you, you you mentioned trust busters, you know, is Teddy Roosevelt a good guy or a bad guy in history? I always thought he was a good right. guy, but you look at it now uh, and you kind of wonder how people would look at it uh, if you had a Teddy Roosevelt nowadays. Look, there has been not enough there has been way too much consolidation. I do think that the amount of consolidation has happened has been inflationary. I think it's been bad for consumers. So I think it would be good to see an FTC that actually cares about competition again. Yeah, especially in the state state of like Microsoft acquiring Activision. Um, you know, I got a Blizzard library of tons of very popular video games. Uh, what happens if we're in a situation where Microsoft says we're not going to send these to other consoles? Yeah. Uh, you know, it really would change the entire industry, really. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you can't sleep on how big the video game industry is, right? I mean, big video game launches are bigger than any movie uh, or any music industry. I don't know. Taylor Swift maybe changes the math yeah. on all this stuff. 
Um, but hey, we yeah. need a Taylor Swift playing Call of Duty. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know. It's not really my area of expertise. I'd just be happy to see the FTC, FTC care about antitrust enforcement again. Let's uh, kind of we started talking about Europe a little bit. Let's, um, you know, kind of end our conversation there. Uh, Germany's cut its growth figures. 20-member block reported gross domestic product of negative 0.1% for the first quarter. Uh, we've talked about the UK. Um, yeah, how much of this is, would you look at Europe as a leading indicator or lagging indicator of the United States, or are the economies um, separated enough? Yeah, I'd probably split the baby and call it a coincidence indicator, right? It's a global economy. 50% of S&P earnings or somewhere thereabout uh, come from around the world. And a lot of that is certainly going to be Europe. Uh, so I think it's a coincident indicator. And look, the, the, the demographics matter. I was I, I was talking about it in my essay this past week where I said, Kathy, better be right. Mm -hmm. We better get a hell of a lot of uh, Kathy Wood I'm referring to who believes that we're going to have these massive spikes in productivity. Uh, and maybe she, maybe we will. Maybe AI is a revolution. But there are a lot of other things that go into productivity growth and that which creates GDP. And a big one, uh, the big contribution to or drag to GDP is going to be workforce growth. And we got the same demographic problem of an aging population of too many retirees, of structural budget deficits, way too much supply of debt uh, and not enough supply of labor that the U.S. looks a lot like Europe. You know, I was looking at the CBO when they project out, I think over the next four years, they're at around 2, 2.1%. For the four years following that, they're at under 2%. Uh, so they, we can structurally look at these advanced economies and see that unless we have wild productivity growth, we're gonna have much slower GDP. And I sure as hell don't think that's factored into where equity markets are right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and I mean, we we can look at it. It's like there's always going to be the big arm. The argument is, does this end creative destruction? I mean, does this go from the horse and buggy to cars, or does AI kind of find a way to fix itself? And then you look at massive layoffs. But there's, there's got to be yeah. creative destruction, right? I mean, if there's going to be productivity, that means that companies are going to be able to make more widgets with fewer people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that looks to be the case in software development. But, you know, when you look at big advances in productivity, whether it's, you know, the automobile, the telegraph, the steam engine, you end up, you have some creative destruction in the in the, the field where the uh, the creation has occurred. Uh, but then you create the productivity that allows other industries to grow faster, and you end up with job gains coming out of that. So you know you can't have one without the other. You can't have. Uh, AI growth that only is good. If AI is going to be big and it is going to be disruptive, disruptive comes with creative destruction. And I'm glad you brought up that term because, you know, we're in one of these markets where everything is optimistic. Bull markets are optimism, bear markets are pessimism. And right now, the glass is half full for investors. And the glass is very half full, if not all the way full, for technology investors looking at AI. Well, if AI is going to be a real deal, if it's going to be a big deal, there is going to be uh, some creative destruction and there's going to be some pain in other industries. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, the big example is trucking, which mm -hmm. is, in terms of high school educated men, is 
pretty much the leading employment in all 50 states across the country. Uh, and, you know, you're a few years, they've been saying this for a long time, but you're in a few years for that to be completely self-driving. Yeah. And that's just one big, big, big example. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be a while. I mean, the regulatory process around allowing 18 wheelers going 80 miles on the highway. I mean, you know, I, I've been really surprised by NHTSA, the NHTSA, the National Highway Transport, Transportation Safety Administration, I think it is, that, that they have been kind of asleep at the wheel on Tesla. I mean, you know, day after day after day, uh, you can tell that Teslas are not fully self-driving. They just simply aren't. Um, and yet they continue to make those claims. Look, before we have self-driving trucks in a way that changes the employment dynamic and, and, and maybe could create some real productivity via all those truck drivers being free to do something else, the regulators are going to be involved. The lawyers are going to be involved and the process is going to take longer than people would like. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we can't tell a bunch of 48 unemployed people to learn how to code. You know, I just, that's just that can't be the solution. No. But um, yeah, it sounds good, Tim. Uh, got a flight out here a little bit. Uh, we're in the studio. What did we overlook? Obviously, this is such a quick news cycle. I mean, today we're going to find more about what the Fed says. Uh, but yeah, anything else? Well, the one thing that we didn't talk about and the markets aren't talking about is credit. Mm. And, you know, you look at, you know, I mentioned the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, and, and I, I just think that's really important data. Small businesses employ more than half of the economy. And what small businesses are telling you is the same thing that the Senior Loan Officer Survey is telling you. Credit is getting tighter. When credit gets tighter and demand for credit goes down, we have a recession. This economy, all of a sudden, the stock market seems to not believe that we're going to have a recession. Credit matters. Has this been a has this been a credit funded uh, expansion like in the, like the Great Financial Crisis? No, it hasn't. It doesn't mean that credit doesn't matter. And you're really starting to see the strains in the credit market that have always preceded recession. All right, great, Tim. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for all listeners and subscribers. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.